0: Welcome to Diving Board, a show about artists, the art they create, and the social and cultural issues they explore. My name is Bill Valerio, I run the Woodmere Art Museum, and I'm in the galleries today with Karen Warrington. Karen is a dancer who was the lead dancer at the Ile Ife Black Humanitarian Center. I'm together in the gallery with Karen and Susanna Gold, who is the guest curator of Africa in the Arts of Philadelphia, Bullock, Searles, and Twin 7-7. Seven Seven. I think that you are uniquely positioned to be able to talk about the Ile Ife Cultural Center, but what dance meant there? Dance meant a lot to these artists, and I think, you know, you can't not feel that when you step into the gallery. I'd love you to talk about the experience of seeing this work but bring us back in time to what dance meant why was dance so important why does it jump off the wall at us as like if you said what's this exhibition about it's about figures dancing
1: i think it's important to note that black people in america are africans we came here as Africans. A 45-day trip, no matter how horrific, did not take Africa out of us. So I have decided that we have kind of an energy cell in our body. And when that is energized, when there is an ignition of that, so much of the culture unfolds in us. And I think what Arthur Hall did, was able to do with the Afro-American Dance Ensemble and many of the other dance teachers that we find in urban centers throughout America, including Sydney King, Marion Sujet, Catherine Dunham, they tapped into what was already in us. And Arthur always had an expression, the children danced. And the children, he was talking about the other in our society, that when we had the opportunity, we danced, we moved because that's part of the culture. You cannot extract Dance from the culture of Africa. If you are in Nigeria or if you're in Ghana, the movement of people is always there. If you're in, say, Nigeria, and there's a man and he's got an akbata on, well, he's moving constantly because he has to adjust that akbata. When women are carrying babies on their back, when they get off a bus and maybe they're carrying the baby with their arms, then they bend over, and a baby will jump up on their back. So that's another movement. So whether you call it dance or not, you see the movement, and that has never changed. So over the years, some of us have been able to pass on from generation to generation our traditional dances. And if you look at the dance of the 20s and 30s, the Black Bottom, the Charleston, the Lindy Hop, these were African dances. If you put traditional dress on, you would think you were in a village in Africa. And what Arthur was able to do was to create a space where we felt comfortable that our black bodies could move in non-European ways. And so even people who had never studied dance all of a sudden felt the freedom. We came here as Africans, but we had to tamp down so much of our culture and our first inclinations because we were trying and being made to fit into European molds. And I think we were able to break the mold on so many levels as it relates to art, and not only art at ele Fe, but just in your own personhood, because those young people that came through the doors of ele Fe they knew that they were treasured, They knew that they were appreciated. They knew that they looked just like the people who were in charge. And so often, when young black children come into these institutions, they don't look like the heads of the institution, they're not welcomed, and they know instantly they're not valued. So when a child comes in and finds out that he or she is valued, and they start to discover that they have talent that they didn't know about. Maybe they had never picked up a paintbrush. Maybe they had never touched a piece of clay. Maybe they had never were at a bar. Maybe they, when I say bar, a dance (laughs) bar. (laughs) They never had ballet shoes. And they got a chance to experiment with their bodies. And that freed not only their bodies, but their minds, their soul. And I think it gave them confidence to go out into the world. Arthur Hall was not necessarily there just to train dancers. He was to free black people to explore their culture and their consciousness as African people in America. So one of the amazing things
0: that I'm learning about the Ile Ife Center was that Dancers from Africa were coming to Philadelphia. Artists from Africa, like Twin 7-7, Seven Seven, are coming to Philadelphia and finding a safe place, which is how you described it. Can you bring us back in time, Karen, to your memories of what it was like to suddenly be immersed in African culture as a real living thing?
1: I think it's important to understand that as African Americans... From the time you're born, you're searching for identity. As a child, my mother used to take me to a lot of folk festivals, and I was able to see European people with their authenticity. I remember one my mother brought me wooden shoes. But I always had the question in the back of my mind where was the authentic? colored Negro person. And I never could find that person. Even though as a child in dancing school, we danced at a lot of folk festivals, but they would give us names. We would be Hawaiian, we would be Jamaican, we would be everything but African. And so as an African born in America, what you start to do is you find little pieces of your history. I remember the first time we really came across African print. Everybody had to have African print. When you found rhythms, when we first heard Olatunji, everybody had to have that. So we're picking up pieces of our past that has been erased from our memory. And we're trying to reconstruct who we really are. So most of us, who went to dancing school early, had some exposure to what was called African dance, interpretive dance, or even primitive dance. So by the time Arthur came into our midst, he had a fuller point of view. He was able to focus on the Yoruba culture. He was able to share with us the art of a shogbo. He was able to share bits and pieces that we hadn't heard of but it fit into the path we were already on and so as a dancer most of us were trained in european techniques and that required the making of a European body out of an African body. So therefore, you had to contort your body to make it fit into European structure. But all of a sudden, we didn't have to worry about the turnout. We didn't have to worry about pulling up. We could dance and put our feet into the earth. We could act as though we were dealing with the soil. And we were also communicating through dance with another spiritual force that couldn't necessarily be defined. So when I first was exposed to twins seven seven, it didn't look outside of my reality, but it helped me to understand all of the issues and feelings and contradictions I was feeling within my own self, because some way, I knew I did not fit necessarily in the European structure, that there was another place for me. So I didn't see anything unusual about Twin 7 7. All of a sudden, he was illustrating for me things that we see and things that we don't see. And I think, as African Americans in America or Africans in America, we always relied on something that was intangible, that couldn't be seen. Some people used Christianity to help them with that. But at the same time, there was something that was unexplainable because I think if we didn't have that, we would not have survived in America. Some kind of way, when we were being treated the worst, when we were being treated like animals, when we were considered beasts of burdens, there was something in us that said, no, there's a way out of there. There is another level on which you can function, communicate, and have faith in. And when we saw the art coming out of Africa, all of a sudden you understood, yes, there is a space for that. I remember uh, in 1971, I was pregnant. I was about eight months pregnant. And a group came in from Guinea, I believe. I think it was the Guinea Ballet. And they were dancing. And because I was pregnant, I was just sitting on the side. And the more they danced and the stronger the drums got, finally I whispered to someone sitting next to me, I said, could you help me unfasten my boots? I had boots on that were laced up. He said, why? I said, oh, my feet are swollen. So he did. The minute the boots were off, I was in the floor dancing. Because Africans dance, whether we're pregnant or not. We dance. The children danced, as Arthur said, and so we got a chance to interact with these groups. And looking at each other, we looked alike. We might speak different languages, but we were the same people. And so the interaction between Africans coming to America, fresh from Africa, they were amazed to see that we were holding on to cultures that we had taken pieces from this culture, from that culture, and put them in a stew that was us, and so they would come bringing traditional cloths. They would come and teach us new dances. So there was a cross-fertilization, not just with the people we taught, but the people coming from Africa that were shocked to see that we had retained and were able to help on to so much of our African culture. Because you have to understand, even the Africans coming to America have had European points of view, brainwashed, pushed into their heads about who African Americans are. And African Americans have had brainwash and and non-positive stories about who the Africans are. So here we were in a period where we could discover each other and value each other and learn from each other and find out how much we had in common. So I think when these fine artists came to Fe under the Model Cities program, all of a sudden, that pod of energy that is African exploded because when they saw the dances, they saw the movement, they saw the colors, the sounds, that part of them that was African, that had been tamped down because of their experience of trying to fit into European culture in America, exploded. And so you saw the art of Barbara, you saw the art of Charles Searle's explode because they were being made, all of a sudden they saw something that maybe they knew inside, but until they saw it, they didn't. they they couldn't, it didn't come out. And I think it ignited something in them that freed them. And I know my journey throughout my professional life The only way I get through some of these doors that are not always welcoming is because I have a sense of pride in who I am. I know the culture I represent. I know the heritage and therefore I can get past some of the negativity that I see in America and some of the restrictions that have been put on black people. So I think that's what you see in Barbara's art. I know it's what you see in Twin Seven and Charles Searle's It was freedom. It was freedom to tell your story, to have a point of view, to present your vision of those things seen and also unseen. We are incredibly excited
0: to be presenting two large paintings by Charles Searles. These are discoveries that Susanna Gold, our guest curator, gets credit for finding. Two large paintings, each of which has two figures dancing in them. And I wonder if you can describe what you see in those paintings.
1: It's almost like I could identify the people in the paintings. I know the movement. I know the expressions on the faces. I immediately looked at one and said, oh, that's Vangie. I looked at another one and said, that's my hairstyle. That's me, that's us, that's we. And he was able to capture that. And it's interesting, because I had never seen those paintings before. So it's almost like it's a photograph for me. It's not a painting. Because he's reflecting the feeling, the movement, the attitude, the energy in a painting. And I never saw it. And I want to say thank you. Because I didn't know. (laughs) I did not know we were being recorded by these artists to that level and it's a reinforcement of everything we tried to teach those young students there.
2: Bill when you described the art that's in the gallery and you said it's really it's about dance and you look into the gallery and you see all of these figures with this energy just bursting off the wall you can see that happening but i feel like you can also hear what's going on because uh, you know twins has an, a number of paintings where he's got instruments involved and you you see the dance but i feel like you also hear the rhythms and i wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the music at Eli Ife, what did it sound like? What did the music accompaniment sound like to the dances that we see?
1: Well, again, I say that Africans brought to America, they remained Africans. So their movement, their dances, their rhythms remained with them. And America outlawed drumming because they understood that drumming was not just the beating of pigskin or lambskin, that it really was a language and that the drums could talk. And so even though the drums were taken away from us, the rhythms remained with us in the churches, in the fields, you hear what we call the one. We dance on the one. And so when I look at these paintings, I can hear the drums. The drums I don't believe ever were stilled in the heads of the people who were brought to America in chains. Uh, you hear it in the work songs, you hear it when people are in the most dehumanizing circumstances that we still found rhythm and rhythm is very much a part of of the African-American experience and so I think that's what we were able to do at Fay. and that's what I think this exhibition shows, was able to capture that freedom of movement, freedom of color, freedom of brushstroke and I really do appreciate these artists because it's hard to talk about movement when you don't see it. But here these artists were able to put on a canvas movement. And it's, I can look at some of these paintings and I can give you, I, it's so funny because this is a release with the arms back. It used to be a dance we called pataka too. And Barbara was able to capture that. She's got our cowrie shells. I never go any place without a cowrie shell. To me, that's my connection to my African heritage. So I see all this movement around and I say, Barbara, I didn't know you were paying that much attention to us. You know, Barbara and I actually went to junior high together and we understood as children that she was an artist who wanted to be a dancer and I was a dancer who wanted to be an artist. I was an art major all through school. So we stayed on these paths and we were able, luckily, to combine our love of dancing and our love of art and remain friends. So whenever I see her work, I say, Barbara, you were paying such close attention. You didn't stop being a dancer. You've got the movement. I'm waiting for that hip to contract. It's in release now, but I want it to contract. And that's the beauty of this exhibition, I believe.
0: This is a painting that, to me, is you know an outright showstopper. And Susanna, I wonder if you can remind us of the title. I mean, it's The Dance of the Snake, I believe, right? And this is the snake winding around the figures. And my understanding is that the central figure holding this jug that's covered with cowrie shells, that the central figure is in a trance and that the figures are dancing around the figure in the trance.
2: You have that right. The figures that are in the background are emerging from that trance. So we see the figure who's standing there within this trance, and then everything that's happening around her is based on her experiences.
1: But also I think it's important that, again, as Africans born in America, this level of trance we see replicated in the Christian church. We call it getting the spirit, speaking in tongues. I also, sometimes when I would dance, I would feel another kind of energy taking me over. And so, whether you call it trance, whether you call it communing with a spirit, whether you accept the premise that a spirit can then inhabit your body or not. I think African people in America experience this, and I think when we see it in terms of the African figure, we understand it, but I think we have to take it a step further and understand that that ability to transform ourselves spiritually is still part of the African experience in America. You see it in our churches. You certainly see it in our dances. You see it in the ecstasy of our musicians, whether they're drummers or not. That art, that culture can take you to another level. Some say when we're on that level, we're communing with things unseen but maybe we're just communing with our inner spirit. Maybe we're communing with a grandmother that has died. Maybe we're communing with a brother that was lost when your mother had her first child. We believe, I think, that those energies, those spiritual energies, are always there to tap into. And I think that that's what Barbara is trying to show, that the energy of the spirit world remains with us, whether it's through the movement of a snake, whether it's through going to another plane of thinking or feeling. And I think she's captured all of that in there. When Arthur would do the snake dance, He actually, for me, and I've seen it in rehearsal, I'm not even talking about in performance, he would become the snake. He would have the movement of the snake, but it wasn't just the movement, it wasn't just that it was choreographed. I think in his head, he started to understand why the snake moved a certain way, what the objective of the snake was, and he took on those attributes in the dance. And I think Barbara has so successfully helped us understand and see that.
0: Museums across the country are really looking at themselves now and thinking about their roles in society and specifically about social justice and social change, how can institutions dedicated to the arts contribute to social change in every positive way that we can imagine. This exhibition to me is an example of looking back historically at a moment in Philadelphia's history where artists participated in a dialogue that was about social change.
1: Art museums have been very dishonest on a lot of levels. On one level, they will periodically celebrate African art, but they don't connect African art to African people and African presence. They separate Africa and the art from the Africans who were right in their midst. And so until we start having museums that are more inclusive, that provide voice and provide a point of view, having to do with the persistence of the culture of Africans that is here and now in America, I don't think museums will properly reflect not only America, but the African diaspora. So when we have young black children come into museums, I'm sure they want to see something that they can relate to just like any young european child wants to see something they can relate to and without those images it means that the museum might not have the same resonance so if we really want to tell the story of art we're going to have to make it much more inclusive we're going to have to say that everybody doesn't paint in pastels that everybody doesn't do landscapes. That so much of what we consider modern art is really based on some of the realistic design we see in African art. So let's have a dialogue. Let's really talk about it. But what has happened in these institutions that give degrees they're not having a conversation about how wide the subject of art really is. So therefore, the voices of the people who represent art from Africa or from the diaspora are not included. Therefore, they're not considered the experts in their the field that they know most about. So until we really say, I want to hear the voice of the people who understand, who are part of this process, who come from this part of the world, we're really not going to have an honest discussion. So I would say to all art administrators, get some people of color, have some serious conversations about how art has survived, been changed, been shaped, has evolved and remains in the black community but is often ignored. And I think it would be important for all of us, especially as we look at America in this time of great division, that I believe the artist has the ability to possibly soothe some of those wounds and abrasions and disconnects that we have. And I think that's why I've always appreciated that I was exposed to art at an early age because that meant that I was free of so many of the hangups that so many of us have and have been taught to have in America. Um, art jumps over politics. Art jumps over class. Uh, art jumps over income level, art jumps over color. So maybe the uh, people who run these institutions after they see what is happening in this space at Woodmere, they'll be more inclined to say, well, let's take a second look and let's see how we can open up this discussion and really truly define all the tentacles of art, especially as it relates to the African and the African-American experience. One of the
2: great things about this is that we do have Karen still here, who is you know, a major player at Ila Ife. We have Barbara still here. We don't have Arthur Hall. We don't have Charles Searles. But we have a number of people who experienced this change at Ileafia and to be able to talk to them and to say, well, what did it mean? You know, we have this firsthand knowledge of this, which will be an incredible archive. But even beyond that, just to have that authentic voice come straight from the people that were there, that were part of what we're looking at in the gallery, is very valuable. And that makes it real.
0: You know, the art is also a witness. And to me, this art is very emotional. I brought down, and I thought this might be a last thing we could talk about. It's a work by Twin77. It is an American president holding up a fragmented and cracking world. It is a portrait of George W. Bush by Twin77. He's balancing in a boat. There are other figures in boats behind him, other figures in an arena or something like that washing him. It's a Charles Atlas type of an image. I imagine, you know, Twin 77 seven seeing the great Rockefeller Center figure of, of Atlas holding the world up. You know, here's this world that is cracking apart. Africa is in the center, and in a lot of ways, it's the brightest on the map. But I think it's an image that is sad to me. I mean, I think it's twins, and this is my interpretation. But I'd I'd love to hear what everyone else sees in this picture. Uh, You know, it's twin saying, the world is a mess. (laughs) That even the most powerful person in the world is not somebody who can stand firm on his feet and carry, you know, the burden of the planet on his shoulders. I mean, I think it's a great work of art. This was a gift to Woodmere from material culture It's, to me, one of the very powerful works in the exhibition. And it ties into, Karen, what you were talking about. You know, like today's world, where, you know, when we think about the world of politics and where we are and this divided country and what seems so crazy, this is a work of art that speaks to that, to me. I I wonder what what you both would comment on that.
1: I guess what I would say, too often we want to pigeonhole people and we want to assign Twin 7-7 to the spiritual world and to looking at his spaces in Nigeria. But as a thinker, as an artist, as a scholar, he's looking at the world. He's looking at contemporary America. And this is his interpretation. And too often, America and Europe forget that the majority of people in the world are people of color. And people of color have points of view. When we see so many discussions about the world, when we're talking about world issues, very seldom are people of color included in that conversation. So Twin 7-7 has put himself in the conversation using the art and the structure of his space in Oshokbo and in Nigeria to say, world, this is how I see what you're doing to the world. And I think it makes as strong a comment as what we're hearing from so many young people Who are so concerned about the warming of the continent, how we're not paying attention to how we're taking care of the universe and what we're doing to destroy the universe. Because it's coming from young people. Some people say, well, how dare you have an opinion? You haven't been here long enough. And I think they say that to so many Africans and African-Americans. You will leave the higher thinking to the folks that look like we just came from Europe, but Twin77 has inserted himself into contemporary America and said, this is my point of view, and put the presidency in the context of all those people of color in the world who are trying to make it through a sea of displacement, a sea of economic thievery, a sea of kidnapping, a sea of exploitation. And he's trying to say, you're not doing a very good job, and the boat is very rocky, not only for us, but for you also. And I appreciate, I had never seen this before, but I appreciate his contemporary statement.
2: And I think it's interesting that he doesn't answer what's going to happen next. You know, we see this figure standing very precariously on this boat, trying to gain balance, but, you know, not quite able to do it and struggling to maintain this world that's fragmented and seems to be coming apart at the seams. But what's going to happen? You know, and he shows us that struggle and that something's going to happen, but we don't see what that's going to be. We're still in this circumstance of troubles that don't seem to have a solution that's right there on the horizon.
0: Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Susanna, for joining us today. Please check out our website, WoodmereArtMuseum.org, for information about the exhibition itself, but the many, many programs that will be taking place that integrate music, fashion, dance into the fabric of the exhibition. Thank you to Stephanie Marutis of Covender Media, dedicated to narratives of social change, and I hope you'll subscribe to Diving Board.